Real Business with Alan Wick. Hello, this is Alan Wick. Welcome to my show. I've been a business coach for 17 years, focusing on owner-managed businesses. Before that, I spent 25 years as an entrepreneur, founding and scaling up a number of businesses nationally and internationally that were sold successfully. Some years ago, the late Steve Jobs, as you probably know, founded Apple, gave a wonderful speech to students at Stanford University at the end of their studies. In it, he advised them to stay hungry, stay foolish. I've decided to adapt what he said to students then for entrepreneurs now. Instead of stay hungry, stay foolish, I say stay hungry, stay learning. In my show, I interview experienced entrepreneurs who are not only happy to share their success stories, but who are also willing to talk about their mistakes, what they've learned from them, and are still learning as they continue along their business journey. If you have a question or a comment, do please phone in. The number is 01342 889488. That's 01342 Or you can email realbusiness at alanwick.com. Alfie Best, thank you so much for agreeing to come on my show. Pleasure's mine. Real Business with Alan Wick. And the purpose of the show is to give people learnings and understand the story of successful entrepreneurs like you and that they'll take away and use for their own businesses. So what I'd like to start by doing is describing your current business and what it does and the state it's in at the moment. Okay. Um, Wildcrest Parks is the UK's largest residential mobile home park operator. We have 13,000 residents throughout the UK. Um, We also have uh, parks in America. Um, But focusing on the UK at this moment in time, We have 75 parks across the country from uh, Scotland, Wales and England and all the way from uh, the north of England right the way down to Cornwall, Kent and home county, Surrey and such forth and so on. So for us, we have a model that is um, not only quenching the thirst for people to be able to live their life better, because they're downsizing, putting money in their pocket, helping their children move on and get on the property ladder themselves and living the life that they've never had. So that's really the way, you know, in a, in a, in a nutshell, that's why Wildcrest is so successful. And what proportion of people who are uh, staying at Wildcrest are permanent residents as opposed to holidays? Well, 95% of our business is fully residential. And we have about 5% of our business which is holiday, but a holiday park and a residential park are completely two separate businesses. You know, we, I think we have uh, three or four holiday parks, but everything else is fully residential. So it's like driving onto a small village. And the people who are staying, what sort of age range? You talked about retirement homes, so mostly older, over 50s and so on? 
Well, no, I wouldn't say over 50. Most of our residents are semi-retired to retired because they're normally, and not everybody is retired. Um, you know, and we have people living on our parks as young as 40. You know, it's if you want to take that step and all of a sudden you want a better quality of life. So are all of Wildcrest parks um, parks that you bought and then improved or were they uh, parks that you created from scratch or a bit of both? All of our parks except one are all historical parks that we've bought, improved and... Uh, and, and, you know, and um, tried to work hand in hand with the residents that are on there. A lot of residents don't like to see change. You know, they want, you know, they've been there for 50, 60 years. They don't want to see anything change because people are always fearful of change. Interesting. And as this is a business show, Alfie, do you mind sharing uh, with the listeners a sense of the financials, roughly, no, turnover-wise and so on, what it is at our, the moment. Our turnover, right, okay. Uh, the business has net assets of around £375 million. We have borrowings from HSBC Bank of £59,900,000. Um, and our profit this year... Um, I believe circa should be circa somewhere in the region of 12 to 15 million pounds. And on what sort of turnover is that at the moment, roughly? Um, that is a reasonably small company, but, it's, but the turnover on that finance company is about 2 million pounds a year. And, and the overall business? Oh, the overall, sorry, our overall business turnover is circa around about 40 million pounds. So our turnover is relatively small compared to our profitability yeah. and that's because of our borrowings our borrowings are relatively small compared what if you think our borrowings are about 18 percent of the size of our business and is it cash positive this type of business or is it on a basis that you're always for growth you're having to fund it in some way but with borrowings well it's become a machine and it is we are aggressively always looking at growth and there is never a spare penny in the business because it is always completely reinvested back into the company and um, we're always looking for, for new opportunities within the business as well as other businesses that we invest in um, but uh, yeah, no, it, it is, it, any cash that it generates is reinvested back into the business. I think that's the question really that you're going yeah, for, yeah. Yeah, and as far as um, the current business, Alfie, the Wildcrest Parks, I think of it very much as a UK business, but are there parks abroad or any business outside yeah, yeah. Of the UK? We have parks in, uh, uh, in North Carolina and America. Wow. And... Um, we will look to expand uh, uh, in the US, um, but that requires me to be there to build that team because this is going to sound uh, 
a little bit condescending, but nobody does it like yourself. And you have to show a little bit of passion for your team to be able to follow that passion. So, you know, at the moment, we're not pushing that market as hard as we should, but we will. So that brings us on nicely to your role today. What is your role in the business? Um, I would consider myself as a chairman, but I'm a working chairman. I have a discussion every two days with my, uh, the managing director here and also with the FD. And I also periodically still speak to the heads of the department. But the business is run on a day-to-day -day basis by the managing director. So what's your, what are you responsible my role, for yourself? Okay, is really my, I'm looking for new business. So development um, and driving the business forward and looking for new acquisitions within the business. And that's full-time? Yeah. 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 And so, as well as America, anywhere else in the world, Alfie? Yeah, we have, uh, we have properties in Barbados. It's a slightly different business. And that's really like luxury, high-end um, villas that we've purchased, we've purchased, refurbished, but it sits along the lines of the, of the uh, holiday parks that we have. And in the States, um, I'm interested to know whether the same or similar model as you've got in the UK works there in terms of affordable homes for retirement and so on, or it's is it different? It's definitely affordable housing. Yeah. But you have two or three different models in America, but they tend to be either rental of the homes or own, owner occupiers who pay a pitch fee. But from the, from the parks that I've visited, there are very few to the quality that we have here in the UK. In uh, here, Park homes are seen as affordable housing. Residential park homes are seen as affordable housing. And I think they've lost the stigma of being a mobile home because you know they started in their humble origins as a caravan, then became a static caravan, then became a, uh, a mobile home, then they became a park home. And now they've moved on again and they're now a park home bungalow. So... I think that stigma has been lost or definitely, definitely well on its way to being lost. Where in the US, that hasn't been lost yet. They're still considered as trailers. And until that moves on, I don't believe that the market in the US will come to fruition like it has in the UK. Do you feel that you've been responsible here in the UK for helping to move that uh, perception of caravans to mobile homes and so on because of the quality that you've put together? I don't think, I know we have. We have made a big difference and we suffer so much criticism because we have changed the industry. We have put correct procedures in place and we're not members of the old boys club that, you know, suits, if, if you do it this way, it works. You know, and... Do we argue with the councils? Do we argue with local government? Yes, we do. But that's why we live in a democracy. We live in a democracy to actually take things forward, to make them better. And you can't make things without breaking eggs. And when that happens, you get criticised for it. 
Well, what I would say is 13,000 residents can't be wrong. And so looking at the team that you employ, the people that you've got here, um, and how many people work, there, we're recording this in head office. Yep. How many people are here, and how many people are you employed around Across the parks? The, okay. In uh, head office, I think there's about 75 people. And across the UK, I think we employ about 220 people. Okay. And what sort of culture would you describe it as in terms of what it's like to work here? Um, it, sometimes it can be a pressure pot. There's no question about that. We're constantly making mistakes and learning from those mistakes. Um, and we try to evolve a culture where we admit our mistakes as opposed to trying to cover our mistakes. We don't penalise people for making them. We actually, I, it's more frowned upon if you try and disguise it. We'd actually prefer, we have a, a, a black book on everybody's desk if you go outside and have a look. And uh, what you'll see is once a month, they're to write down what issues they've had. But they can't just write the issue down they have to put down what their solution was, what they believe their solution is. And then once a quarter, we pick out what the best solution is and we implement that into our ISO system so that problem does not happen or reoccur again. Yeah, so it sounds like a very well-organised, you described it before as, well, we've got a machine now, it's working very smoothly. Is that Would I say it's working very smoothly? Um, I think anybody that believes that their company is working very smoothly is a company that they're not pushing. Because if you drive a car fast and you drive it hard, it needs the oil checking regularly. It needs the brake pads changing. You know, it, needs, it will need the head gasket changing at some point. And it will break down and it will get a puncture. And that's what happens here. Because we are driving the business forward. Interesting. So changing right back to the beginning, if I can, taking back to the very beginning of Wildcrest Parks, um, why did you start it? When did you start it? You said it's 18 years ago, rough. Um, and what were your dreams, hopes at the time that you did? Okay, it's funny you should mention this. Um, I, was, uh, I was in Las Vegas uh, about a week ago. And I was with my son, who's 22, and uh, he currently owns two parks of his own, and he's running that business, and he's having to learn you know, from the ground up. He's completely independent of Wildcrest Parks, and uh, like I said, he's learning from the ground up. But I remember when he was about I don't know, three or four or five, us walking down the strip, and him saying, when I get older, I'm going to be buying one of these casinos. So I said, well, good boy. That's exactly what you should be doing, looking at your dreams, following your goals, and if that's what you want to do, do everything you can to make it happen. So then when we went down the, um, the strip this time, he said, uh, do you remember? He said, when I said, he said, I, I wanted to buy out one of these casinos. I said, I remember it vividly. He said, well, that was just a dream, really, wasn't it? I went, no, it wasn't just a dream. It should have been your dream that turned into a goal. And he said, well, 
did you have any dreams? Or when I did, that I wanted to own one mobile home park. I said, and one became 75. And we have no, no appetite to stop growing. The only thing that would make us stop growing here is we are currently being more welcomed in other countries that want you to invest. They want you to bring your business here, especially when they see you have a solution to a problem that every country's got, which is affordable housing. And you don't suffer as badly um, like in America. Even though we've not pushed it, we've been welcomed with open arms. And the first five parks we bought there, um, you know, we were approached by virtually everybody in the, what can we do for you to invest first? What, why Parks, though, Alfie? What got you started? Well, before I did Parks, I was in, involved in several other businesses. Um, uh, you know, when I was a lot younger, I was in van hire and van sales. Um, I nearly went bust uh, in that. Um, I did quite well for a, a while, and then I really hit, hit the wall like a, you know, like a sledgehammer. And then I managed to scathe myself out of it and um, I opened up uh, communications and mobile phones and we ended up selling out to uh, a company that in turn sold out to Vodafone um, and from then I went into commercial property we still have that company and we still operate um, that company albeit we operate it within the realms of Wildcrest and that's a commercial operation it does commercial property commercial rents um, and it's a development uh, company where we build uh, commercial buildings and rent them out. Um, why did we go into park, home, park homes? Well, I think we all have a little bit of where we're from and what we do. And there's a niche to that. Now, I'm obviously a gypsy. So because I was born and bred and raised in caravans, for me, it was a natural progression of you know, birds of a feather flock together and, you know, a fish to water. So a fish swims in water and a gypsy lives in a caravan. So who better to understand that model? And I've got to be honest with you, I thought I would have understood it a lot more than I did, but I'm still learning to this day about the business of park homes. So that was really what happened. And a mobile home park came up for sale. Um, we bought that that park, um, and uh, we've still got it to this day. Where was it? Where was the first one? It was Lakeview Park um, in Romford. And what was it about it that you thought, right, this is the one I'm going to get started with that? Because the opportunity came the, up where you were actively looking for no, one. The opportunity arised, and it was pretty well at the bottom of the road. It was, you know, a mile from where I lived. So then when I bought it, I then sort of learned sort of on the floor, if that makes sense, you know, from the ground up about that business. And there's a, there's a saying that I use, in any new business that you go into that you don't know about, don't concern yourself about what you do know about the business. 
concern yourself what you don't know about it because you're going to have to pay some idiot tax. And that idiot tax is up to you of how expensive it's going to be because you're going to be charged for the knowledge you don't know. And you're going to be charged handsomely. So understand your business well and make sure the passion that you have for it is real because there are many people that love to think that they're passionate about it. And I always confer it to either a boxer or a footballer. You'll see the great footballers were naturally talented, you know, and had a gift. But there are just as many that weren't gifted, but they practiced 18 hours a day. Now, that wasn't because they were pub football players that like watching the TV and criticise every other football player about what they're doing wrong. They actually got out there with the football and did it. And that's the same as business. That's that whole um, conversation around 1% inspiration, 99% perspiration. Yeah, 100%, 100%. So you started off with the, the one park. If, how did you fund it? Was that from borrowing money? How did you do that? Tell exactly. The starting businesses is very tough. Yeah, for yeah, people, yeah. especially if they haven't got the funds. Well, I'm not an expert on borrowing money. We always try to borrow the minimum to keep the company. Look, I've, I've got a duty of care. I've got a duty of care to, number one, my residents. And they're first and foremost within our business. Second is our team. They've got families, and they believe in the dream of what we're doing. And what is that dream doing? I actually believe that we are the technology business of affordable housing, because we can supply a home and have it on site within eight weeks, and you can move in. And the only delay to that is the amount of customers that we keep having that actually causes a delay, because we're having to keep ordering, and the manufacturers can't keep up. I'm interested in the journey from the beginning, from having one uh, park home and then going and growing the business over 18 years in the way that you've done it, and knowing, you know, a lot of people start businesses and they actually don't really know whether they'll be successful. It's a risk, like any small business. They're roughly 600,000 started in UK every year, and of those, three-quarters of them don't make it past three years. So that early few years is really important. And in my own way, Alfie, in a small way, through this podcast and speaking to successful entrepreneurs like you, I'd like to do what I can just if a couple of people listen who are starting a business or in the early stage and they learn something from that and save their business, that would be my my little bit of giving back, if you like. Every so how did you, what happened at the beginning? Okay. Every business that I'm involved with, whether it be Wildcrest or any other business, I start them from the ground up. There are several other businesses that we've invested in, but those businesses that we've invested in, you have to be careful where that money's going. Because some people are starting a business for themselves for a lifestyle that they want to have. Well, that might be a right reason for some people to give them a task, but that's never a, a reason for me to start a business. One, you must have 
a solution to a problem. Otherwise, all you're doing is starting a business that's going to compete. And when you've got to compete, you've got to be fit. And you've got to be make you've got to be match fit because you're going to be out there competing. If you have a business that you have a solution to a problem, doesn't doesn't have to be a unique solution, but it has to be a solution to a problem. Now, we've just started another business, um, which we've invested in, but we've invested very small, and that business now is fire products, housing, park homes, but what we've done is we've gone backwards. Not only do we sell the products online, but we automatically give a survey. So they're not buying the wrong, it's a very important thing that you're not buying the wrong fire products for your home, that you're buying the right products, that no point having a fire alarm if it's not going to go off because the fire's, the smoke's too far away to, you need a proper survey carried out. And we've started implementing that. And that business is now solving a niche because you can go to B&Q or wherever, wherever and buy a smoke alarm, but it's up to you to fit it. And you're then guessing where it should go. Well, let's put it in the middle of the room. But it may be you, need, you actually needed two. And that's not the sort of thing I believe that you can afford to make a mistake on. So we have seen a gap, and we can see that gap needs filling. Because it's not, they're not a difficult thing to fit, so it's reasonably cheap to have an engineer just fit them. Because he does five jobs a day. So it's not an expensive but what it also does is allows a lot of people to have the right product in the right home that's surveyed by a competent professional. Now, going back to Wildcrest, how did we fund our first part? Well, like I said, we first sold up um, our communications business and we also went into commercial property and we had, uh, I think, about £1.2 million in cash sitting there but we borrowed around about £500,000 to purchase that park. And that was the hardest thing we did borrowing that money because people assume it's easy to go out and borrow money. It's not. Money is the lifeblood of any bank. And when you go to a bank, people have this perception that they're doing them a favour by taking the business to them. Actually, the bank's doing you a favour because they're charging you reasonable commercial rates, not like an equity fund that would want 10% or X, Y, Z. And I see so many people that have got businesses that are worth three, four, five, six hundred million pounds, and they're left with by the time the funds have taken their chunk out of it, they've actually ended up with a business which they could have, they've got 10% of it. Whereas, to me, why would you grow a business to that size, to upscale it to that size, when you could have built it smaller over a longer period and owned a lot more of it? That I'll never get my head around. I understand about upscaling businesses, We've done it time and time again. Um, and I'm not saying that's the wrong way because some people work at a much higher level 
and understand how to duplicate businesses better. So they need to work at that level. And you've mentioned upscaling. That's the next stage of any business. Let's say the startup survives. You've obviously your first part did well and you start to replicate and start to buy more parks in order to upscale the business. So what was that period like? Early years, remember the first two or three years of the business, how did you go from one to many? How did that develop? Okay. Going, the most important thing in duplicating a business is not to kid yourself, not to bluff yourself that your business is doing great. You have to analyze your business and look at how many hours are you spending in that business running it? Are you still completely managing the whole business? Because if you're completely managing the whole business, how are you going to duplicate it? You know, one of the, um, if you take restaurants, for instance, restaurants normally do well with one restaurant, two restaurants, because the guy who's got the passion for the restaurants and the food really knows his stuff. The moment there's three and four, they start to fail because there isn't four of him. So I go back to you must look at what you're doing. Is your business now running with a small amount of input? So instead of you doing that 16 hour days, you're now doing five hours on that business because you can actually see the business taking on a life form its own. That's the time you duplicate it. And learning to trust your employees and taking your employees from employees to your team. Because if they're coming to work for a paycheck, they're just employees. If they're coming to work for a goals, they're a team. When did you know in those first few years that that point was reached where you felt you knew the business well enough, you understood it well enough, and the people that you wanted to then say, right, I'm ready to expand, I'm ready to go further? Well, let me say this to you. To expand... You have to be able to commit to spending more money on your team that you don't need. And what I mean by that is, let's say, for instance, you have a bookkeeper that only works for you three days a week. Well, the first thing to ask is, what is the capacity of that bookkeeper? If you take on another store, can that bookkeeper control what he's doing within three days? Or is it going to take him one more day? Your manager that's, that's overseeing the store, and I'm using that as an example, or the business or whatever it is, is he now able to oversee the next venue? It's a bit different today. There are a lot of online businesses. And I personally feel it's easier to duplicate an online business because you're doing it from one position. So if, you, if, if we go back to uh, an online business, you then need to look at where you're spending your time. And wherever you're spending your time in your business, you must home down 
and see, is that going to double when you duplicate further? Is it such a thing that you're going to bring in another three lines? Well, hold on, where does that leave your cash flow? And a lot of people kid themselves as well that they, by adding more cash in the business, is going to make the business grow. You know, a good business grows organically. Where's the difference between growing organically in this sort of case? And you use the example of restaurants, Alfie, where um, I think it's a very good analogy. So what, there must have been a point where you thought from the various businesses you tried before, and then you went into this one, you thought, right, this is it. This, I'm really on to something, something I understand. Um, I relate to it because your background. This is something I can really scale. Was there a moment when that came? within the first few years when you thought, I'm really on to something? No, I always have always grown businesses. I've, you know, with the uh, uh, mobile phones, we took that to 13 stores in 18 months. I've always, I set businesses up to grow them. I don't set businesses up to run them as a business. I want them to become more. I want them to take a life of their own. I want other people to fulfill their dream by giving them something that they can really take hold of. So for me, it was when we bought the first park, okay, what do we need? Well, we need a maintenance guy. So the maintenance guy, the first thing I did was put a schedule in place. On Monday, you sweep the roads. On Tuesday, you go around and you service the drainage, so on and so on. So he had a system. He clocked in, did his, did his duties, clocked out. Simple, but works. Then, um, about six months into it, the managing director who is here now, um, Wazim, he came to work for us. And he came to work as a bookkeeper. So now we've got our in-house accounts did I feel positive that he was the right person to grow that part of the business? I did. Did I feel that the maintenance guy was the guy that actually could step up to becoming a maintenance manager and he would be able to look after or become a senior maintenance manager where he could then take on another one and he could check his work on another park? And I did. It was that small. So then when we brought another park, we knew that our accounts team would just duplicate what we were doing with the invoices. Yeah. Then I was doing all the development and overseeing that and calling the builders in. And at that point, you know, we had a contracts manager because there were two parks to oversee on developments that we wanted. Then we ended up with a third. And at that point, I then needed an area sales manager. So the business grew, but we already knew what we needed before we did it. So did that mean that, that whether it was at the beginning or during that journey, that you had specific goals of the number of parks or turnover goals or profit goals, a vision as it's <clears> called <throat> these days? What okay. was that about? We, ha we have um, a policy here that we've always had. And our policy is yes. Whatever somebody rings here for, the answer is yes. It is never, ever no. 
doesn't happen. Never gets said. It is yes. And you can test me on that. There is nothing that a resident or a customer cannot ask for that we will not say yes to. To start. But yes is not free. Yes comes at a cost. We're not a charity. We have a charity that we support. This is a commercial business that has to survive and has to thrive. So we give a yes to whatever you want, but please remember we have to get to yes, and that comes at a cost. So it sounds like the whole philosophy of the business from the beginning is really focused around the customers. Everything is focused around the customers, the systems, the attitude, the culture that you've grown here. Customer is king. We look after them, the business will grow, rather than, well, we're going to have these turnover or profit goals or number of parks, and it doesn't really matter. The customer is secondary. Well, is that fair? I'm going to be very, very honest with you. From day dot, we always wanted to be the largest park home operator in the UK, from day dot. Now, that goal has changed. And now we want to be the largest park operator in the world. And we believe that we will achieve that inside of 10 years. And what would that look like in terms of the number of parks and turnover? Okay, our turnover will uh, approximately double. And the size of our operation will go from 75 parks to 200 parks. So this is something that comes up a lot in terms of businesses that I talk to uh, of the difference between having clear goals and not knowing where people are headed. And it sounds like you have had those clear goals. As you were saying in Las Vegas with your son that he had a dream you said to him, son, you know, I want you to, that dream is actually a goal and keep it. So you've lived by that philosophy as well for your businesses. Yes. And it's obviously worked very well for you. Look, some people, there are different, different types of mindset. That's all it is. And you've got to decide what your mindset is. The want is not a need. If you want something, well, I want loads of things. But do I need them? No. Have I got a need to get them? No. So the want is not enough. You have to put it into practice, and you have to put effort in, and you have to have the need. Without that need, the want's just a want. What do you mean by need in terms of, um, is, it, is it the passion to get to a certain place? Because obviously about, past a certain about, point. Think, think about it this way. You're 20 years old and you see the most stunning, beautiful woman that you've ever seen. You want to take her out. But so does every other man in that room. But there are possibly three people out of those room full of men that have the want and the need to approach her and say, and not be fearful of the knockback. 
Does that make sense? Yeah. And a business, I hate to put it in such simplistic terms, is exactly the same. Do they have the want? There isn't a man on the street or a woman on the street you couldn't ask that says, oh, I want. But it's followed with the need. Yeah. And it's that, I can't use the word determination, Alfie. Yeah, of course. That kind of passion um, drive as well to get to a certain place, to have, get somewhere that you currently are, that you, something you see that you want, and, and you go for it and do more than just dream about it. Actually my, make it happen. My dad is the hardest working man I know. And I mean, he's 72 years old, still works as hard and genuinely works seven days, seven days a week manually. Manually. Um, but he doesn't have the need. He doesn't want every... Uh, to be the largest park operator in the world. He doesn't want, may want it, actually, because if you said that, he'd go, yeah, of course I want it. But he doesn't have the need to do that because he's, he's happy. He's comfortable. Somebody asked me, what's the secret of success? I went, contentment. I said, and some of us will never be content. And then it depends how you define success. Everyone's going to have their own definition of that and what it means to them. Your dad might feel totally successful because he's happy with what he's got. I think, it, it, you're com in my opinion, you're confusing two things. Financial with success. They're two different things. They are two different things. Success comes in so many different forms. Success comes in you know, you may set smaller goals. You've done those. You know, who's right and who's wrong? The man that brings his family up and spends the time with his family or somebody like me that doesn't spend the time with their family because I'm pretty well at work 95% of the time. So there are prices to pay. You know, um, I think Steve Jobs is a, a, a prime example. I think he wrote a letter of virtually on his deathbed about the things that he'd forsaken. Time, family, and friends yeah. was one of them that he put down. You know, to me, that is a man that lived and regretted it. May have achieved some great things. And Apple, after he was ousted from Apple, the businesses that he did afterwards weren't necessarily really a success. And yet, when Apple started to fail and they brought Steve Jobs back, it became a massive success again. That's because he had a need. Apple was that beautiful woman that he loved and caressed and thought the absolute world of. That was his baby. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that passion really comes through, I think, from what you're saying, and also thinking of Steve Jobs. And it was his mission. It was his life's mission, if you like, to, to get that type of success, something he passionately believed in. There was also an element of proving people wrong. You know, in that particular circumstance, I think he brought in, there was a board that ousted him and he, wanted, he brought him back 
and he wanted to show what he could really do. So there was something really driving him personally as well, I think. I think that makes a huge difference. Well, I have a lot of people that say to me, oh, you, you, you're quite a humble person. Actually, I'm not. I'm really not. I just say it the way it is. I just say it the way it is. That's not being humble. That's just being a bit, I'm not bragging it up and I'm not playing it down. Let's move on. One of the, um, the themes of uh, this work that I'm doing to help smaller businesses and particularly those that want to scale up, let's look at things that you've learned from. Producer's note, Alfie Best leaves the room to get two of his employees. When they all arrive, they sit down and he goes to a whiteboard to draw some diagrams and information to help with this podcast. End of producer's note. One of the most important things about duplicating a business and about running a business is making sure that your team making sure that your team all sing from the same hymn sheet and making sure that everybody understands where the business is going. So the overall goal is very clear. Not only you, Alfie, but the people who came in who didn't know they were going to be interviewed on a podcast... And you ask them, what's the overall goal of the business? All said, including the person who brought the coffee, yep. to be number one, to be yep. the biggest in the world. Yep. And then the policy as well. What's our policy? Very straight to say yes. So that was very clear. And you saying you also set individual goals, what are called in management speak KPIs, key performance indicators, for each individual person yep. as well. Yep. So they're very clear what they have to achieve in order to help the business reach its overall goal. Well, we think of everybody as a cog in the business and those cogs that turn and it's up to me to make sure the oil's in the engine so those cogs can turn easy. You know, uh, have we got uh, the best business in the world? Absolutely not. But what we do have is a business that's groundbreaking It's absolutely groundbreaking. We're the only park operator, the only park operator, that's actually got a brand out there. Because what happens is this. We have residents that live on a park that think that they can run a park better than we can. And they expect us to do, you know, they they pay a pitch fee and they believe that everything should be done on the park for free. But we're going to look, there is an 83 mobile home act. If you live in a block of flats, which are owned, the freehold is owned separately, you pay a ground rent. And then the maintenance of that building is a different cost. Now, all maintenance on the parks is our responsibility. But if it's improvement, that's a cost that needs to be borne by the residents by being added to the pitch fee. But we don't do that unless they want us to do it. But by us improving the park, putting electric gates on, putting CCTV, putting new roads in, their home goes up in value by as much as 50%. Because we all want to live in better surroundings. 
It's interesting. You talked about we've, we're the only company that's got a brand. I'm interested to know why the name? Why Wildcrest? That- okay. No, no, no. I'll, I'll tell you. It's, it, it's really simple. If you look at Wildcrest, it doesn't exist. It's completely misspelled. So the reason for it, it's actually two words joined together. It's W-Y-L-D-E, wild E, and then crest. We wanted something that was masculine, and we wanted it rubber stamped. So we wanted it as a crest, hence wild crest. But there's more to the name than that. We wanted to create something that was solely and wholly our own. And we did that by making the word up. So now, when you Google it, it is only us. And we've now created a brand that, of a word that didn't exist that's now recognized in Google. So people search for Wildcrest, only us. So we're now not competing. So there's that uniqueness about it, not just the number one or the biggest in the UK, but also the positioning of the brand in the marketplace is unique as well. And that, again, is a huge lesson, Alfie, for businesses that are, com- that are generally competing, that usually find it very hard to be unique in their marketplace. Choose When you're choosing a name for a company, it would have been very easy for me to go, well, let's call it Best Parks. Fantastic name. But then it would have been mine. And Wildcrest isn't mine. It's ours. It's everybody in this building has a part of ownership of it. So they can take ownership of it. Do you have a, a, a share ownership scheme? No, but when we will float. And, and we always were going to float the company because we wanted to be the first residential park operator that floated. And at that point... People that have been here for certain periods of time, people that have shown um, collaboration of themselves and the business together, will all be all part share ownership within the business. So, looking back over your journey so far, Alfie, what have been mistakes, things you've learned from? Uh, that would be very interesting for listeners to hear. Okay. When you go home and you have dinner, and it's quite a nice meal. Quite nice, isn't it? You sit there and you enjoy the food that's been cooked. But the dishes will be in the sink and they won't wash themselves. You can walk by them as much as you like, but they'll still be in that sink. And if you don't wash them, they will smell. And the more you don't wash them, the more dishes you'll add to them. So the, the mistake never to make is don't put something off tomorrow. Do it now. Wash the dishes, put them away. The job's done. Takes five minutes. Move on. There are two things that I live by. We all have fears and demons. Those demons can destroy you or drive you. The choice is yours. Allow your demons to drive you. Allow your fears 
to excel you. And listen and take advice from the mistakes of others. You can't live long enough to make them all yourself. If you live by those two rules, you can only be successful. And the mistakes that I've made have been through driving the business and all businesses forward and falling over. And the worst one is believing my own hype. Believing that I was better than I was. And that's a terrible mistake to make. So Alfie, people can't see this, but you're wearing a Wildcrest Parks cap and it's blue. And I can also see from the crest that you're talking about that it's blue. Any particular reason why that colour? Because it's royal. Uh -huh. And if you're the number one park operator, that sits you up as royal blue blood. Fantastic. Alfie, it's been an absolute pleasure listening to you talk. I'm sure there'll be a huge amount to learn uh, from your journey so far. Really successful entrepreneur and an inspiration to other business people. So I very much appreciate your time today. Thank you very much. Pleasure's mine. Thank you very much. Real Business with Alan Wick. Well, that about wraps things up. I do hope you've taken away some useful learnings for your own business. If you have a question or a comment, please call 01342 That's 01342 Or you can email me at realbusiness at alanwick.com. If you missed part of the show, or if you'd like to listen to it again, go to the Listen Again page on meridianfm.com, or you'll find the link to the radio show page on my website, alanwick.com. I'd like to thank my producer, Raphael Moran, for doing such a great job behind the desk. Thank you for listening. Do tune in again at the same time when I'll interview another interesting entrepreneur. And remember, stay hungry, stay learning. Real Business with Alan Wick.